Hi, my name is Kristen Donnelly, and I'm a cookbook author and copywriter who became an enthusiastic student of plants after co-writing a book about vegetables. I started this podcast so I could get down and dirty with other plant obsessives and bring you along for the ride. My guests and I talk gardening, herbalism, plant-based eating, ecological landscaping, and houseplant care. Essentially, all the ways plants can bring us happier, healthier lives. So grab a cup of tea or your watering can and get ready to dig in. This is the Plant Out Loud podcast. Hey, friends. I've been so enjoying this process of podcasting and sharing interviews with plant folks who fascinate me. I always love to ask people who come on the show, what's a lesson from a plant you've learned most recently? For this episode, I'm going to share some lessons from plants and more specifically gardening I've learned that have been resonating. But first, some background. I wasn't always into plants. I remember some friends brought my husband and I what I now know to be a snake plant as a housewarming gift. These plants are supposedly indestructible and yet it died on our watch. Granite, it was in the center of our 70-foot-long room in a row house, far from any windows, and who knows if we ever watered it. We were now what I know to be as plant-blind. We ignored our plants' signs of distress, and eventually, it said goodbye. When I lived in that same house in Brooklyn, I tried my hand at gardening, optimistically filling up pots and window boxes with annual flowers and herbs in the spring. By the end of May, the flowers often ceased blooming and the herbs withered to a slow death. I failed to realize that as the trees leafed out, they produced too much shade for these plants. Instead, I just assumed I had a black thumb. Combine that with the frustration of trying to dig in my backyard soil in Brooklyn, which was filled with tattered candy bar wrappers, batteries, and pieces of old fire alarms. I just assumed I'd never become a gardener. Oh well. Fast forward, say, four years. And I started working on a book about vegetables with the chef's garden. I'm a cook and I love vegetables, so I thought, I've got this. But as I talked with Farmer Lee Jones and Chef Jamie Simpson, who wrote the recipes about the way vegetables grow, I realized in some ways how little I knew and how much more I needed to experience for myself. I actually remember one phone call in early to midsummer a few years ago. Farmer Jones and I talked about zucchini and the squash blossoms that inspired his family to start growing for chefs. I knew all about cooking with squash blossoms. As a younger cook, when I was more ambitious, I used to stuff them with ricotta and fry them. Now, I'll often slice them for quesadillas or serve them alongside scrambled eggs. But I remember he told me about how every squash plant has, quote, male and female flowers. The male flowers are blossoms only, and the female flowers are attached to the baby fruit. In all my years of purchasing zucchini blossoms at the market, some on their own and some attached to the fruit, it never occurred to me that they were different. I guess I just thought that the one with the fruit was more mature, but I had never really thought about it. So here he was telling me that not only did the flowers have different anatomy, but to actually create the larger, fleshier squash we buy at the grocery store or farmer's market— Each one needs to be fertilized with pollen from the anther in the so-called male flower. Whoa. Since then, I've grown a few different squash plants. And just as with humans, fertilization isn't always a given. Each flower usually only opens for a day or so. You need to have male and female flowers open at the same time. And you need a pollinator to pass through and visit them in the correct order. Let's just say 
This didn't always happen for me, so I soon learned how to fertilize my own squash as well as my own cucumbers because they followed the same principle. If you've ever grown squash, you might have had fruit that are shriveled a bit at the end or misshapen. This is usually the result of improperly fertilized fruit. If you have that problem, I recommend going to YouTube and looking at videos for hand-pollinating squash or cucumbers. Anyway, I digress. When Farmer and I had that first eye-opening conversation about zucchini, I remember feeling like it was too late to plant a garden that year, even though Farmer told me to just put a seed in a pot or buy a plant from a nursery and I'd have squash in 50 days or less. That all sounded way too easy, and a lot of what I had learned about gardening sounded hard, so I didn't do that. Now I know he was right. Extensive kitchen gardens are labor-intensive, for sure. But you can truly go out and buy a few plants from a nursery that are very likely healthier than ones you start yourself, put them in larger pots, and see what happens. Of course, instead of going out and getting a zucchini plant right then and there, I spent the following months reading books about gardening, and the following spring, I took a couple of gardening classes with Roots to River Farm. I remember at the time I was doing a personal project to try to shed some of my perfectionistic tendencies, but looking back, they were still there. Still, when I finally planted some of my first seeds, I decided to accept that there will be pests and there will be weeds and some plants will die under my care no matter what I do. I decided to be grateful for the lessons I was learning and appreciative that I did not need to rely on my garden to feed myself. I also decided to enjoy the process, and let me tell you, I have. You might not know this, but I have a line of lip balms called Stuart and Claire. What does that have to do with plants, you ask? Well, I make them with organic plant-based oils and butters, as well as golden beeswax. A few of the scents are inspired by cocktails, which, get this, rely on plants for their flavors. Take our best-selling Negroni lip balm. To mimic the scent of the botanicals that go into this drink, I make a balm with essential oils distilled from juniper, clove, sweet and bitter orange, among others. Plant Out Loud listeners can get 15% off all your orders from Stuart and Claire. Just go to stuartandclaire.com, that's Stuart with a W and Claire with an I, and use the code PLANTOUTLOUD at checkout. I think every gardener I've spoken to quickly starts to see lessons to be learned from plants and the process of growing them. This, my friends, brings me to three of mine. Number one, it's not too late. Perhaps partially because my parents got married when they were 19 and 21 years old and stayed in the jobs they had for much of their career, I always felt like I was a little late for everything. I remember being in high school feeling depressed that I hadn't figured out what I wanted to do with my life. When I decided to switch gears and go to culinary school at age 24, I felt late to the party and too old to be changing my mind, even though I did it anyway. This now makes me laugh. When I started a now-defunct blog in 2004, I felt too late. In 2013, when I started another now-defunct blog, I felt late again. Did I feel too late in starting this podcast? You betcha. And when I first started gardening two years ago in April and learned the really serious gardeners had started their seeds in February, I felt late again. Even though I still always feel too late, I know intellectually now I'm not. Yes, in gardening, there are ideal windows for planting things. Sometimes we plant our radishes later than we should and they bolt, or we plant our tomatoes later than we should and we don't get great harvests. But to just start gardening, it's never too late. Every season has a plant you can start, and with small, clear plastic polytunnels available to home gardeners, there are crops many of us can even try growing throughout the winter. We are now in June, 
And if you failed to start seeds in the depths of winter, you might feel like, why bother? But if you've been wanting to try gardening, take the advice Farmer Lee Jones gave me and go to your local nursery, grab a zucchini plant, and see what happens. You can still totally plant tomato plants, and you'll never regret planting pots of herbs. Few things are more satisfying than clipping off herbs from your homegrown plants to finish off your dish. Lesson number two, perfect is as impossible in the garden as it is in life. When we see beautiful photos of gardens on Instagram and in magazines, it's easy to feel defeated. What they don't often show are the aphids covering the undersides of the leaves or the squash plants struggling because of one pest or another or the radishes that split because of uneven watering, and on and on it goes. When we're new to gardening, we're often extremely protective of our seedlings, seeing each death as a failure and even a personal defeat. I remember when I was learning about hardening off seedlings, the process of acclimating them to the outside. The process can often feel as daunting as sleep training your children. Okay, maybe it's not quite that bad. But common advice will read, the first day let them outside for one hour, The next day, an hour and a half, and on and on for over 10 days until your babies are ready for the outside world. I remember when taking a class with my friend Malaika at Roots to River Farm, and we were helping her plant some peas. I asked her how long she hardened off the peas, and she said, I don't know, a day maybe? She said she knew it wasn't ideal, but sometimes she's just got to get them in the ground and keep things moving. When we transferred them, most of the plants slumped over and looked exhausted, She seemed unbothered. They'll be climbing the trellis within a few days, she said. Plants want to grow. And as with anything, the more we put into our gardens, the more we get out of them, both in terms of the harvests and even spiritually. That said, Kat Kinsman wrote a wonderful piece for Food & Wine about how her best garden was the one she didn't obsess over. I can't do justice to this glorious piece of writing, so I'll put it in the show notes, but her conclusion is more or less the same. Nature wants to happen. Don't stress out about it. Number three, embrace the process. Again, I'm not growing a garden so I can feed myself through an entire year or even an entire season. If my tomatoes suffer from some kind of blight or my beans get some kind of rust or squash borers kill my plants from the inside out, I will still eat and I'm eternally grateful for that. Pests and diseases are frustrating, sure, but learning how to solve those problems is intensely gratifying. My husband went to music school, and he once showed me one of his books that had a diagram that read, the thing is the process is the thing is the process, the thing is the process, over and over and over again in a circle. The idea is that music is not so much about the final performance as it is the process of getting there, or that they are one and the same. I approach gardening the same way, so it's so much about the process that I almost forget I get to harvest at the end. In fact, I've learned to love gardening so much that harvesting is kind of like a bonus. Whether you listen to this on your morning commute, while you water your plants, or as you weed, I hope this inspires you to look at gardening with new eyes. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Leave a review or send me a DM with your plant questions on Instagram at plant.outloud. Even better, tell a friend about this episode. Let's keep growing, friends.